Story seven of The Human Boy and the War by Eden Philpotts. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Story seven Percy Minimus and His Tommy. There were three Percys at Merivale, and they were all there together, and to masters they were, of course, known as Percy Major, Percy Minor, and Percy Minimus, but we called them the Three Maniacs. Though mad, they were nice chaps in a way, and did unexpected things, and always interested everybody because of their surprises. They were all very different, but very original, owing to their father being a well-known actor and percy major was already an actor by nature and could imitate anything with remarkable exactness from dr dunstan to a monkey on a barrel organ he could even imitate a hen with chickens but he was going for much higher flights when he went on the stage and knew the parts of hamlet and macbeth and richard the third by heart though he said to travers and i heard him that it would probably be many a long day before he got a chance to act these great tragical characters before a london audience his father on the contrary was a comedian and blades had once seen him in a pantomime and liked him and said that he was good percy minor was not going on the stage though when he liked he could be awfully funny only he was generally serious and meant to be a painter his great hope was to take likenesses and he was always practising it and his school books were full of portraits of chaps and masters some you could recognise as for percy minimus he was the maddest of the lot and my special friend we were in the lower third and forbes minimus was also our special friend but he chucked merivale as his parents went to the cape of good hope and took him and then percy and i were left percy never came out much while his brothers were at merivale and his only strong point was singing in the choir at music he was an undoubted dab and he liked it and he said that if his voice turned into anything worth mentioning after it cracked he would very likely be an opera singer of the first water and if it failed and fizzled away to nothing after cracking as treble voices sometimes do then he was going to be a clergyman if his father would let him he certainly sang like the devil, and Mr. Prowse, our music master, was fearfully keen on him, and arranged solos in chapel for him, and people came from long distances on Sundays to hear him sing, though old Dunstan always thought, when outsiders turned up to the chapel services, it was to hear him preach, but far from it. Well, this Percy Minimus was what you may call sentimental, and he certainly was a bit of a girl in some ways i hated that squashy side of him and tried to cure it but i forgave him because he liked me and not many chaps did owing to my having a stammer percy minimus was frightfully interested in my stammer and said it would very likely be cured when i grew up he said that people who stammer when they talk can often sing quite well so i tried and found it was so but here again there was a drawback because my singing voice though quite without any stammer was quite bang off as a voice and even funnier than my stammer percy minimus said it was just the sound a fly made before it died when it was caught by a spider so naturally i chucked it but this is about percy not me 
he had very kind instincts and was of a gentle disposition for instance when three of the masters went to the war and dr dunston said he was going to fill the breach and do extra work and take our class while we much regretted it percy minimus thought it was fine of the doctor he said though it is bad hearing for us cornwallis we are bound to admit it is sporting of him because at his great age it must be very tiring to do a lot of extra work and no doubt to take the lower form must be fairly deadly for such a learned man as him it will be deadlier for us i said and of course it was but that shows the queer views that percy gets hardly natural i call it and then when the doctor threw up the sponge and got a new master called peacock to help and fill the gap till after the war when hutchings and meadows would come back if alive percy minimus was queer again this peacock was old and dreadfully humble i don't think he'd ever been a master before and he was very unlike his name in every way and had no idea of keeping order but went in for getting our affection he tried frantically to be friendly but he failed because he was too worm-like being a crushed and shabby man with a thin grey beard and when he attempted to fling himself into a game of hockey and be young and dashing he hurt himself and had to go in and get brandy i believe he was a sort of charity on old dunston's part really for mr peacock told pegram that he had a wife and six children and his eldest son was at the war and his second son was in the general post office and his eldest daughter was a schoolmistress at bedford fancy telling pegram these things all pegram did afterwards was to make fun of peacock and treat him with scorn and many did the same but percy minimus encouraged him and he liked percy minimus and told him several things about the general post office not generally known peacock finding that me and percy minimus were rather above the common herd told us that he was very anxious about his son at the war and was very interested about the war in general and made us interested in it too he read us a letter from his son at the front and percy minimus said it brought home the horrors especially in the matters of food though not a great eater percy liked nice food better than any other kind and then owing to his great feeling for nice food there happened the curious and in fact most extraordinary adventure of his life he came to me much excited one day with a newspaper it was a week old but otherwise perfect in every way and it had started a scheme for sending the men at the front a jolly good christmas gift for the sum of five shillings the newspaper promised to send off tobacco and cigarettes and sweets and chocolate and a new wooden pipe all in one parcel and so as percy minimus pointed out if you could only rake up that amount and send it to the paper it meant that one man in the trenches on christmas day would have the great joy of receiving all these luxuries in one simultaneous parcel from an unknown friend at home i said oh it's a splendid idea and i should like nothing better but of course in our case it is out of the question we've both subscribed to the hutchings testimonial and there's not a penny in sight for me this side of christmas and no more there is for you he admitted this but said because there wasn't a penny in sight it didn't follow we might not by some unheard-of deeds rake up the money in time and i said well knowing what five shillings meant that the deeds would certainly have to be unheard of 
I said, there's a fortnight before you have to send in the money, but so far as I'm concerned, it might just as well be ten years. And he said, the problem simply is how to raise five shillings out of nothing in fourteen days. And I said, well, yes. And he said, sounds simple enough. And I said, the hardest problems often do. In two days, he had got a shilling by selling a thing he greatly valued. It was a tie his mother had given him, and it was made of sheeny silk and changed color according to which way you looked at it. His mother had given half a crown for it, and Percy wore it on Sundays only. It was Sutherland who gave the money, and that still left four shillings, and Percy Minimus hadn't got another thing in the world worth tuppence. He then tried writing home, and failed. He said his father was out of work, and, though a very generous and kind father as a rule, not just now. His mother also failed him. She wrote sorrowfully, but said that she and his father had done everything about the war they could for the present. He then wrote to his godmother and got a shilling. Encouraged by this, he wrote to his godfather, who didn't answer the letter. Fourpence had gone on stamps for these four letters, and he was accordingly left with one and eightpence. Subtracting this from five shillings, you will find he still had to raise three shillings and fourpence. It looked hopeless, and I pointed out there was the additional danger that he might be accused of getting money under false pretenses if he didn't collect the lot. But he did not fear that, because, as he said, whatever he might get, he could send to some other charity, which was open to take less than five shillings. There were now seven days left, and he began to get very fidgety and wretched. He said he was always seeing in his mind's eye a Tommy in the trenches, waiting and watching and hoping, between his fights, that Percy Minimus would send him one of those grand simultaneous packets. It got on his nerves after a bit, and twice he woke me in the dead of night in our dormitory, sniffing very loud. I said, you're making a toil of a pleasure, Percy. And he said, no, I'm not. Whenever I go to sleep, I dream of my Tommy in the trenches, and the parcels are being given out by Lord French, and my Tommy stretches out his hand eagerly and hopefully, but there's no parcel for him. And he shrugs his shoulders and just bears it and goes back to his gun. But it's simply hell for me. What's he like, I asked, to get Percy Minimus off the sad side of it. Huge and filthy, said Percy Minimus. He has a brown face and a big black mustache and one of the new steel hats, and he's plastered with mud, and his eyes roll with craving for cigarettes and chocolates. Oh, you needn't worry, I said. He'll get his parcel all right. Of course, they won't miss him. What a fool you are, Cornwallis, he answered, still sniffing. Can't you see that if I don't send a parcel, there will be one parcel left? And so one man will go without who would otherwise have had a parcel, and that man will be this one I see in my dreadful dreams. Well, if you put it like that, I said, of course. Then he had another beastly thought. I've got an idea the man is Peacock's son, he said, and I feel a regular traitor to Peacock now every time I look at him. Then why don't you ask him for some money? I naturally answered. I feel he hasn't got any, replied Percy, but I can try. Besides, I said, his son may be an officer, and of course they would be far above parcels. I hope he is, said Percy, but I don't think he is, and nobody would be above a parcel at a time like that. Anyway, he asked Peacock, and Peacock gave him sixpence, and wished he could do better. 
This made two and tuppence, and the same day Percy found a threepenny piece in the playground, and though at another time he would have mentioned this, with a view of returning it to the proper owner, now he didn't, but said it was a providence, and added it to the rest. And this gave him another hopeful idea, and he mentioned the parcel for his Tommy in his prayers, morning and evening, and asked me to do so too. I was fed up with the whole thing by now, because Percy was getting fairly tormented by it, and even said he saw the Tommy looking at him in broad daylight sometimes, over the playground wall, or through the window in the middle of a class. Still I obliged him, and prayed four times for him to get his two and sevenpence. But there was no reply whatever, and in this way two days were wasted. Then he had a desperate but brilliant idea, and told me. He said, after school on Friday, in the half hour before tea, I'm going to break bounds and go down into Merivale and stand by the pavement and sing the solo from the anthem we did last Sunday. Many people who sing along by the pavement make money by doing so, and I might. If you're caught, Dunstan will flog you, I reminded him. But he was far past a thing like that. His eyes had glittered in rather a wild way for three days now, and he said the Tommy with the black moustache was always looking reproachfully at him, and if he shut his eyes he saw him more distinctly than ever. In fact, he was getting larger and more threatening every minute. He said, a mere flogging is nothing to what they endure in the trenches. It was a sporting idea, and I would have risked it and gone with him. In fact, I offered, being his great chum, but he would not allow me. No, he said, nothing is gained by your coming. This is entirely my affair. Besides, you wouldn't tempt people to subscribe. So he went and escaped in the darkness, and I waited at the limit of bounds, with great anxiety to meet him when he came back. My last word to him was not to sing this bit out of an anthem, but something comic about the war. But he didn't know anything comic about the war, and he said, even if he did, that such a thing would only amuse common people who could not be supposed to give more than halfpence, if they gave anything at all, whereas a solo from a fine anthem would attract a better class, who understood more about music, and were more religious, and consequently had more money. So he went, and in about twenty minutes, to my great horror, I saw him being brought back in the custody of Brown, our well-known master. The hateful Brown always loves to score off anybody not in his own class, and so, seeing Percy warbling out of bounds in the middle of Merivale, and about ten people, mostly kids, listening to him, he pounced on the wretched Percy and dragged him away. He had been singing about ten minutes when the blow fell, and he was fearfully upset about it, because everything had been going jolly well, and he had already made no less than seven pence in coppers, all from oldish women. He had been told to go away from in front of a butcher's shop, but nobody else had interfered with him in the least, and he had sung the anthem solo through twice, and was just off again when the brutal brown came along and saw the Merivale colors on his cap, recognized Percy Minimus, and very nearly had a fit. So there it was, and he got flogged, and Dr. Dunstan said it showed low tastes, and would have been a source of great sorrow to his father. And he also said that to explode a sacred air in that way, in hope of touching the charitable to fill his own pocket, was about the limit, and a great disgrace to the school in general. 
all of which went off percy like water off a duck's back and the flogging didn't seem to hurt him either and there were four days still and he said his tommy grew larger and larger until he was almost as big as a house in fact percy minimus was rapidly growing dotty and as his great friend i felt i must do something or he would very likely get some other dangerous illness or have a fit or lose his mind forever and become a maniac in real earnest so i told percy minor but unfortunately he and my percy had quarrelled rather bitterly for the moment and percy minor said he didn't care what happened to percy minimus and that if he went out of his mind he wouldn't have far to go while as to percy major i couldn't tell him because he had left merivale the term before the matron now discovered that percy was queer for she'd been making him take pills for two days and then one night hearing him sigh fearfully after he was in bed she tried his temperature and found it about three hundred degrees of warmth so she lugged him off to the sick-room and dr weston came in his motor and said he couldn't see any reason for it and gave percy some muck to calm him down next day he was kept in the sick-room though cooler and when dr weston came on that day and questioned percy in a kind tone of voice he explained the whole thing to the doctor and said that he was in fearful difficulties of mind and dr weston asked him what difficulties and he said for two shillings which added to three makes five then the doctor told him to go on so he did and showed the doctor the advertisement from the paper about the simultaneous parcels he also said that his tommy had now grown as big as a cloud in the sky and was always looking at him by night and day hungrily and urging him on to fresh efforts and he also said that if he was only allowed to go into the streets and sing an anthem for an hour or two the two shillings should be accomplished and all would be well and encouraged by the great interest of dr weston percy minimus ventured to ask him if he thought he could ask dr dunstan to allow this to be done seeing it meant great comfort and joy for a tommy in the trenches on christmas day it made percy much cooler and calmer explaining why his temperature had run up and the doctor said it was undoubtedly not good for percy to have the tommy so much on his mind he didn't approve of the idea of percy singing either but he put his hand into his waistcoat pocket and produced a two-shilling piece as if it was nothing and he said that if the matron or somebody would get a postal order for five shillings and send it off at once he had every reason to think that percy would soon recover which was done and i was allowed to see percy and bring from his desk the cutting out of the newspaper which he had already signed with his name and address which were to go to the front with his parcel and percy said that a great weight had now been lifted from his brain which no doubt it had anyhow when dr weston came next day he found percy in a bath of perspiration and was much pleased and said he was practically cured and percy told him that his tommy had now shrunk to about the size of an ordinary tommy and only came when he was asleep and was not in the least reproachful but quite pleasant and nice and one day later the tommy disappeared altogether and percy minimus became perfectly well in fact before the holidays arrived he seemed to have forgotten all about his tommy and i took jolly good care not to remind him 
He got fearfully keen about Dr. Weston then, and said that he was the best man he'd ever seen or heard of, and he even hoped that next term he might run up to 300 degrees again, just for the great pleasure of seeing and talking to this doctor once more. But that wasn't all by any means. In fact, you might say that far the most remarkable part of the adventure of Percy Minimus had yet to come. He went home for the holidays, and when he came back, much to my astonishment, he was full of his blessed Tommy again. He actually said that he'd got a photograph of him. I thought that coming back to school had made him queer once more, but he wasn't in the least queer, for I saw the photograph with my own eyes. It was like this. The Tommy, who had got the Christmas parcel, which Percy's five shillings bought, found Percy's address in it, according to the splendid arrangement of the newspaper, and, though far too busy in the trenches to take any notice of it just then, he was not too busy to smoke the new pipe and the cigarettes and eat the various sweets, no doubt between intervals of fiery slaughter. But he kept Percy's address in his pocket, for he was a good and grateful man, and then, most unfortunately, he was hit in the foot by a piece of shrapnel shell, and though far from killed, yet so much wounded that he had to retire from the front. In fact, he was sent home to recover, and one day in hospital, about a week before the end of the holidays, he had found Percy Minimus's name and address in the pocket of his coat, and had written Percy a most interesting letter of four pages, saying that the parcel had been a great comfort to him, and that he had sucked the last peppermint drop only an hour before being shrapneled and having been photographed several times in the hospital by visitors he sent percy minimus one and there he was i said it was a jolly interesting thing and so on but i couldn't for the moment see why percy was so frightfully excited about it because it was quite a possible thing to happen though of course very good in its way and a letter he would always keep and he said you don't seem to see the point cornwallis it's a miracle and i said why and he said, because this is the very identical Tommy I was always seeing in my dreams, the very identical one. I hadn't thought of that, but somehow taken it for granted. Then he pointed out it wasn't in the least a thing to take for granted, but the purest miracle that ever happened in the memory of man, and quite beyond human power to explain it in the world. I said there might be people in the world who could, but he wouldn't hear of such a thing. He said, no, not in this world, but no doubt there are in the next. And I said, then you'll have to wait. And he said, it's done one thing. It's quite decided me about my future. I'm going to be a clergyman. And I said, not if your voice doesn't crack, surely. My voice, answered Percy Minimus with great scorn, what is a voice compared to a miracle? If miracles happen to you, then if you've got any proper feeling, you ought to insist on being a clergyman. So I suppose he will be, but whatever else he is, even if he rises to be a canon or a bishop, he'll always be a maniac, the same as his brothers. End of story seven.